Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Spill Your Beans. We're doing a film review today of three films, uh, and that is the John Wick Trilogy. I'm joined today by YouTuber, streamer and podcaster Red Archer Live. Hello there. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited. I'm mainly, to be honest, happy to be doing a podcast where I don't have to do the editing. I'll be real with you. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's honestly understandable. Since I've started doing this podcast, that's the most relatable sentence I've heard yet um, on one of our yep. intros. But uh, yeah, so again, as we say every time we do one of these film reviews, um, obviously I get people to fill in some sort of application form to sort of mention a few kinds of films that they'd be willing to talk about, that they're passionate about, and you put the John Wick trilogy down. So why why is this sort of trilogy one that you feel passionate about? Why is it one that you feel that you, you want to talk about? Oh God, how much time have you got? Um, I don't know. I just, it was weird because I came across it by chance because it was, um, it's one of the games that I do on my <clears throat> YouTube channels, Payday 2, and they added John Wick in that game as a crossover and i had no idea who the character was and it was only when they started doing the promotions for the <clears> second <throat> film i was like well he's in payday i'm doing videos on it i should check the first film out so mm. i literally i bought the dvd for about like three pounds i got it dead cheap i was like i'll give it a watch to see what i think and was just there was something about i think the action and the way the way it was paced and the way everything was done in the film that just hooked mm. me right off the bat and it was immediately like this is a fantastic film like i was yeah. i was completely on board with it um really really liked it watched it back several times i like watching the um the cinema wins videos as well and like looking mm. at all the details and stuff on that so i found those particularly interesting because then you rewatch the film again you're like oh yeah i see the the little details and stuff he was pointing out but yeah. after that it was cinema john john mc2 john mc3 seen them several times and i mm. absolutely love them i'm of a mind and i know we'll probably get into this but i'm of a mind that personally i think each film improves on the last one just a little bit not massively because they're all really good okay that's an interesting one because i am like yeah (laughs) i'm the opposite of that oh god okay so this will be a really interesting (laughs) podcast then because i am of the opposite mindset where i feel like the first is still the best and they get slightly more shit each time really okay fair enough genuinely so we'll we'll get on to that we'll start in the sort of first segment here by talking about john wick what or just john wick so called john wick one but john wick the first one the original one um i I just it's brilliant isn't it i think this is like it's such a refreshing film especially when you look at the genre and its history of this sort of like action kind of flicks we had loads of them in the 80s a few more in the 90s it got kind of cheesy and then it got Mm. really grungy in the 2000s this feels like a sort of bit of a breath of fresh air for that genre of having something that's really nicely um paced very well choreographed and a really just compelling new story. The character building and the world building in this is brilliant. Mm, yeah, it's very well done. I think the the way it's structured, I mean, even with the opening, because it's kind of like, you know, it opens very much with the end of the film and you're immediately like, oh, what's what's going mm. on here? And then it's the immediate backtrack after about two minutes of, of setting the tone. I think what's interesting with the first one, I think, is that the... I think even in a, some way the way it's filmed, but mainly like the lighting and the, the style of it and the cinematography, I think is quite different to the, the, the lighter two films. I feel like they find a bit mm. more of their footing or a certain style the last two and the first one. I dare not say indie, but it does feel a little bit more indie in the way it's filmed when you compare it to the other two. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I think, again, whenever you're... I think whenever you're going into sort of a franchise thing... Now, I, I watched John Wick for the first time after all three had already come out. So oh, okay. I, I, I was quite late going on to this sort of franchise. Um... So I think it's always a difficult one when you're just making a film not intending it to be this sort of multi-film kind of thing. Mm. Um, 
and it ends up being a huge success. So I, I, I do, it's an interesting point that this does feel a little bit more indie, and I feel like I, I agree with the fact that I think in the later films they do find a bit more of their style. But I still feel that there's a there's an aesthetic here and a, a general like vibe that is just kind of again new, refreshing for that sort of action um, genre. Yeah, I think it is. It's quite well done, but I mean. A lot of that goes down to the amount of effort that Keanu put into the training for it, because I've seen of some of the, the training videos of him on like the shooting ranges and things like that. Oh, he yeah, put yeah. in a hundred and ten percent and it really comes across in the filming because a lot of the stunts I mean, it could be a bit of the trick of the camera, but a lot of them it does look like he's doing them himself. And I think I read some of that he does like the vast majority of the stunts himself. It's only very occasionally where you like can't see his face at all, where you're like, Okay, that's a stunt man. But everything else you're looking and going is that Keanu? Because yeah. he's like in his mid fifties now, so he's doing really well. He's, he's, doing, he's doing, he's doing, he's doing pretty bloody well. I mean, they, again, I, I think I don't know how to really break this film down because there's a lot of different elements to it. I oh think yeah. If we focus specifically for a minute on the sort of fight scenes, because that's what a lot of people come to this film for, mm. um, and it's what they stay for, because it's it's brilliant. I mean, every for, I think the first time we really get to see it properly is the sort of ha uh, home invasion scene. Yeah. Uh, where Vigo orders a sort of hit squad on John Wick and his house and John Wick sort of takes them all out but in the sort of night time in the house the way that's shot I think is brilliant the way they do it is brilliant the, the choreography is so just I don't know I'm going to keep saying refreshing over the span of this podcast yeah. because it is it's, it feels <laughs> it feels new and different and I'm like a big fan of the style um, set in like the Kingsman film for example with the fight scenes um, they're very like fluid and very. I don't know. Are you familiar with those? I haven't there, seen them, but I've I've been meaning to watch them because I keep seeing yeah. the new one coming out. I'm like, I've got to watch these other films and get into they're, it. They're, they're they're all right, but the the main selling point for me for them films is the the choreography of the action scenes, and I feel like a lot of films are getting a lot better with that nowadays, making it more of like a not like a gimmicky thing, more sort of fluid, and you really get that sort of enjoyable impact from um, seeing it. I think way back when in like the 80s for example when you had all these action flicks coming out people hadn't really seen much of that before whereas now it needs to do something different to sort of refresh it and films like Kingsman and John Wick and all that sort of thing have this really fast paced fluid satisfying feeling with all the fight scenes yeah and I, th I think what I like most about the scenes like in the home invasion one in particular is that you know a lot of the the kills are all very unique you know you got one where like there's him and the guy are back to back on the wall and he's ducking down and shooting through the wall you got yeah. another where he's like got a guy on the worktop and he pins him down and i think he breaks his neck or something i can't remember and then there's like the typical john wick there's like a couple of moves that i call typical john wick moves they might have been in other films i don't know but there's like mm. two moves i associate with him now the first one is him pinning someone on the floor shooting somebody else and then shooting the guy he's got pinned <laughs> that is a great yeah. move that he uses That's like so many times when brilliant. they adore it and then the second one is the the final kill he gets in the in the hallway where he's trying to stab the guy and then he just slams his his hand down onto the knife to get it in, which is one I noticed yeah. he uses in yeah. in John Wick three as well. And it's, it's like it's it's a it's a brutal move, but it's very kind of like I don't know. Yeah. It, it's 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 it sounds a bit psychotic to say enjoyable, but it is. <laughs> but it is. I mean, that's what this sort of genre is kind of for. And I feel like John Wick did a really good job at almost kind of reinventing that. I suppose really making those kills satisfying and hit harder um which is a huge thing anyway i think it's a it's really kind of a morbid topic to talk about in terms of like <laughs> violence and stuff but even in stuff like video games and stuff there is a difference between different shooters and that big difference is like the impact of things how satisfying it is 
when someone gets killed or something like that, like the move sets, yeah. the choreography of it, and the way that works. It's the same thing with films and John Wick again, and sort of similar to Kingsman in that respect, where the fight scenes feel really fluid but satisfying to watch. And I think that's what's yeah. so appealing about these films that they're not just any other action film. They are sort of they've got their own style, which is sort of breathing into the sort of modern generation of sort of action films um, and sort of shooter films generally. Mm. I've seen a couple of clips of Kingsman. I've seen the one with Colin Firth like swinging a mug to someone with an umbrella, mm. which was a pretty unique move. I liked yeah. that. There's, there's probably lo- like loads on the film. There's, yeah. there's loads of stuff like that because it sort of plays itself as, unlike John Wick, it plays itself more as like a sort of comedic angle. So mm. it has a little bit more room to be a little bit more far fetched with it. But the music and the way they use the music with the choreography and the scenes, the way they have the camera basically flying around the scene, yet you can still follow everything that's going on, I think is is brilliant in those films. Slightly different but still quite similar I, I feel in in respect to john wick with uh john wick's own style of like this sort of fluid fast-paced you know action yeah and i think it's, again it's really well done it, yeah yeah i think it, the thing about the john wick trilogy as well is it does develop over these films as well um you get even more satisfying and elaborate ways of john wick killing people throughout these films and that's what, kind of what i'm looking forward to with the fourth one as much as i'm not and we'll get onto this as as i'm not keen on the third one as much i'm looking forward to the fourth one because i'm just thinking what more can they do because in the second one they had the sort of dog kills didn't they and then the third yep. one and that's obviously the car scene in the second one as well and in the third one you have the like the horse and the motorbikes and the book, the library, when he breaks That's someone's neck on a book. That's the one I was thinking of. Like, it's that like, move is just, yeah. it's mental. I, I, like, I was looking at I remember seeing the cinema the first time, and just going, oh, oh, okay. Like, you're used to the styles of kills, but every time they introduce a new one, you're like, oh, you're going there. And it's yeah. even, like, with the shotgun. Like, that's a, not exactly an original thing. But, mm. like, the way that he kills them and the, the amount of gore in it, you're like, oh, we're really taking it up a notch. Because it, yeah, there's, like, exactly. about ten kills where there's just, like, as graphic as it is, just pieces of head flying around. You're like, oh, okay, mm. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, one thing I love about the way this film, uh, one of the sequences talking about those sorts of scenes in this film, uh, in the first one, is the nightclub scene. I love that, especially the way yeah. it's lit, especially the way it's shot. Um, they use the sort of nightclub lighting really well to their advantage, and it's so enjoyable. Again, like he's just chasing this one guy down, but working through all of these bodyguards, killing them each. But it's it's the way the sort of neon lighting, and they use a lot more of that in the later films. Um, yeah. I feel that's where they kind of worked out their style a little bit, and they're like, oh, we need more neon mm. <laughs> um, in the next few films. But yeah, I think generally the action scenes are always brilliant in these films, and we're always going to sort of sing their praises. What do you think specifically about the story in this? Because I feel like the story in each of these films is actually quite different in terms of its um, general structure um, throughout these three films. Um, and the first one is probably obviously the original, so... Yeah, the first one is... I mean, to an extent, all <clears throat> three of the films have very, very simple premises, and like it's, it's weird mm. in the sense that not really a lot happens, but it doesn't really matter because you know where the like you know kind of where the, the start point and the end points are and you're more there for the action in some ways i think as much mm. as the as the plot i mean the first one is literally you can sum it up in one sentence you know wife dies gets a dog to kind of grieve with dog gets killed he goes to kill the person who kills his dog it's like mm. it's you can pretty much sum it up in that sentence and of course the car there as well but like i think it's what's what's really good about these films is the way in which it reaches that end goal mm. you know like the, the different the different scenes and like the nightclub scene you said in particular like I, once I noticed what they did with the lighting, so like when he's still like kind of undercover and then and, and kind of going stealth through the nightclub when he moves 
every kill that he gets it successful is under blue lighting and then when he moves into red lighting it kind of like goes it doesn't go his way he gets thrown mm. into trouble i think mm. all that stuff is really clever and even like the camera work so when um yosef's running through like the main kind of like dance floor and when it's focused on him the camera's shaking around and all violent when it's on john it's really calm and like focused on mm. him and stuff i think i think really the stories are very simple but it's it's the way in which it it goes along and gets to that end point that's really good and it's especially with john wick 3 i noticed because i was watching it last night i've watched each film like night after night after night after, before we recorded this and the thing i noticed with john wick 3 in particular was you know with john wick 2 there was a, a slight recap at the start which kind of filled in the gaps because like i said there wasn't much to fill you in on it was like oh he's looking mm. at his wife his wife's died that's about it that's all you need to know john wick 3 is kind of like almost the point of no return i think where if you're jumping in with that film you're gonna need more context because they, mm. they don't really waste a lot of, spend a lot of time like setting up what's happened it's very much just he's on the run he's trying to escape okay he's going to this point this point this point so yeah i, I feel like you could probably jump in in john wick 2 and and not know what's going on but i think if you jumped in in john wick 3 your, your enjoyment would suffer because while there isn't much to mm. to follow you kind of need that context uh, and i do like that i think with the first John Wick, I do. Also, I mean, it's the original film, so of course it's going to set a lot of the stuff up. But I, I quite yeah. like that it doesn't take the easy route in a lot of places. I feel like a lot of action films like this would take the easy route in regards to stuff like um, again, like the, the story structure. I mean, like it could just be that like these guys nicked his car and killed his dog, and he just tries to hunt them down throughout the whole thing. But they do all these little things. They introduce all these different characters. Um, Again, like the stuff with uh, the Continental and the, and the the rules there, and then they have people breaking those rules, and what happens if those rules are broken? And you've got all these different sort yeah. of story threads, which this was never—I don't know if this was ever intended to be like a multi-film saga type thing. It doesn't feel like it in the first film. Every other film since obviously ends with yeah. like a sort of cliffhanger, but the first one is its sort of own thing, and I just respect when you're going in just to make one film but you want to make this world as complex and real as possible i hate like there's nothing more i hate in these sorts of films when this, the filmmakers just pick the easy route when it comes to like story planning and world building whereas this the one thing i have to give it, give it credit for is that it's got such a big world to it you feel that there's already stuff established there and when there's exposition coming out you don't feel like it's ham-fisted you don't feel like it's forced you feel like what's being said is appropriate and real and yeah what's what would be said in those scenarios and those rules having to be explained to the audience are done in such an effective way that it doesn't sort of drag you out of it you feel that you're just watching this world and i think that's such a big thing mm, it is it's very it's, it's very well done i really think that you know and i think in particular i know we're supposed to be focusing on the first film and i keep going off track and going to the other yeah, films, no, but no. with with john wick 2 what i liked in particular was that you know they did set up this great world in john wick 1 but they really built on it in the second one you know yeah. i don't off the top of my head, I don't think there's any mention in the first film of the high table. There might no. have been a brief mention in passing, but I don't think there was. And then, you know, they go into the second film and like, here's the high table, and, you know, they oversee everything, and, you know, John Wick starts interfering with all of that stuff and, and starts to feel the, the repercussions of, you know, killing members of the high table and how that reflects on him and mm. his kind of ties to the content. I really like that you know, once they knew they were going into a franchise, they actually went with some real world building to make it interesting rather than just, here's another film where he kills a few good guys. I know, like I said, the story is quite simple, but it's good while you're going along to have that world building at the same time. So it is a lot of action, a lot of like really well choreographed fight scenes, but also yeah. you're building up the environment at the same time where you're interested to know more about that world. I think it's, you, make, you make a very good point. I think it's the, the biggest strength of this trilogy is the world building because I just feel like it is... 
you're, you're you are watching a film. You're not just watching something that's just been crafted for the sake of it. And I feel like it is better than a lot of stuff we get nowadays in terms of sort of modern action type films. Even stuff like Marvel, which you know I love to bits. I feel like, and and that's got so many films to develop a world. But even still, you look back at like the first Iron Man film. It's very you know, small, you know, in terms of what... A it, lot what of the actually, first Marvel films sure. really were. I mean, Thor's just full of Dutch tilts, and that's about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> basically. But with John Wick, I feel like just watching this film, it, you just feel like there's this entire world here. You feel that you know the whole sort of criminal underworld. And the best thing about that is, again, as you said, in John Wick 2, they build on that, and it doesn't feel unnatural. It doesn't feel like they're just throwing something on the table just to go, ah, we didn't tell you this before because this, that, and the other. It's like... It's just not talked about. It just doesn't have to be talked. It it's, feels very fluid. It feels like it works very well from film to film. Um, and again, we'll talk about the later films in more detail after the sort of first break. <laughs> but I, I, again, obviously, we have very differing opinions. I do agree that it builds on it. I don't necessarily think the film is better, though. And I think the first one really does deliver, in my opinion, the best out of the three in terms of an actual, like, film just to sit down and watch if i was going to put one of these on i'd probably put the first one on okay i feel like anyway i mean feel free to well yeah well the first one is more of an isolated story you know it like mm. even knowing that there's a second film you could quite happily not watch the second one and still walk away like john mick's a really cool character i like that world and i don't need to see more you know it's like you said two and three have very distinct cliffhangers whereas the first one it's kind of like you know, at the end of the day, he set out to do what he was going to do. He's got a new dog. Yeah. He's off home. He's wa li literally walking off into the sunset. That's that's it. Mm. You know, you don't need more. Like, I think the films build on it very well, but the ending of the first film is done in such a way that you, if you want to stop there and just go, okay, I'm going to cut out here, you could do. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I, I quite like that about this film, but I think as well, just generally the way the story's put together, I think is really interesting. I, I do like, obviously, seeing... John Wick not always do great when he's fighting. Like, if he gets knocked yeah. down a little bit, you're like, oh, that's interesting. But I do love about the first films, they really drive home the fact that he is this sort of mystical character that everyone sort of fears. I love that. And as much as, again, I will praise the world building to the nth degree, I feel like a downside of this trilogy is that the more you find out about this world and the more you find out about John Wick, the less you sort of fear his presence a little bit. The first film, I feel kind of. I know, like, obviously, he towards the second and third film, he does, you know, he gets past lots of uh, big obstructions in this world, let's say. Um, and he does sort of prove himself a lot more than he does in the first film. But I feel like in the first film, he's this sort of, almost like a force that can't be stopped, but you feel like genuinely all the characters are terrified of him. And I think that's such a, a unique thing, because it, it just, I don't know if that adds to how satisfying the kills are, how satisfying the story is put together, but for me personally, when I'm watching them, um, that's something that I really, uh, really do enjoy. That's a good point. I think, in a way, that probably stems from how they were doing it in the different films, because there's one thing that I really like in the first and second film, is that one line, one from Vigo, when he calls Aurelio up, and he's like, you know, why did you hit my son? And as soon as he says, oh, he stole John Wick's car and killed his dog, Vigo just goes, oh. And then <laughs> hangs up. Like, any kind of, like, bravado he had in trying to threaten Aurelio, as soon as he knows it's John Wick, he's like, oh, no, that's that's fair. I'm going to go have a word with him. And the same mm. thing again happens at the start of chapter two with Vigo's brother. I can't remember his name, but his like second in command. He's also like, you know, why are we moving business because of, you know, this one car? He's like, because it's John Wick's car. And again, the guy goes, <laughs> oh, it's like that, <laughs> like that fear of the, like, yeah. the name. Whereas the thing I noticed in the third film is that 
like even the myth of the pencil kind of gets lost away a bit it's more you know based on yeah. what he's done in the last two films rather than oh it's the man who killed three guys in the bar with the pencil it's the man who in the last week has killed dozens of men because of a car and a dog you know like i feel yeah, like the yeah. myth has evolved because of how much he's done in the last week and how noticeable it's been to the the wider uh, like assassin yeah, world I, I think that's always going to be one of those things that like does drag away from it the more films you make in a franchise but what again mm. like one thing i really love about the first film specifically is that sort of mystery in the second and third film when they're talking about these things like oh my god is this is the guy who did this it's like yeah but we've seen that we know he's done that and it's cool but we know that it wasn't you know it wasn't flawless he wasn't like totally invincible he did get a few cuts and scrapes along the way and he did come quite close to getting killed a few times when it's stuff about like once killed like three guys in a bar with a pencil like you'd never see that and i know i don't want to ever see that but we got close yeah but i i like the idea that stuff like that that sort of mystery we're never gonna see that it's you don't you sort of it, it plays on your imagination more and that's mm. what you feel in the characters but that's what you feel in the audience as well because they weren't there for it they just know about it they have heard about it as have we now, and we sort of feel on the same level as them a little bit, where we're like, oh, this is a mystery. But when they talk about things that they weren't there for in the second and third films, so the events of the first film, for example, we were there for that, we saw that. So there's a sort of level of mystery which is taken away a little bit. I'm taking it you're not a fan of Solo Star Wars story, then. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I... I... <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's that sort of thing when it just... It, yeah, that, that's a totally different thing, but no, yeah. No, no, I get it. In you, the same... It is a, yeah, yeah, you're very that, right there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't... With with, with that, you you make a very good point, but that is kind of where all my issues do come with that film, which is just pointless. <laughs> it doesn't have to show these things, but it just does anyway. The filmmakers don't have to show everything. They can leave some things up to the imagination. But yeah. in regards to John Wick, it's less mysterious and less scary when they're talking about this thing that they weren't there for that the audience were because yeah. then you don't then you don't feel that you can sort of relate with that and go oh yeah he is mysterious he's scary because that sounds scary when you know because you saw it and you can analyze it and look at how he actually was you know it, it's it's the sort of myth mythological kind of vibe to it that i love about the first film is that you don't see anything before that you don't know what he was like mm. before he retired at all so you're on the same page as the sort of people who he's going after and that's scary. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's a good point. I hadn't really thought of it that way. It is a good point. But I but, don't know. I, I suppose, yeah. like, because the way in which, you know, like, it is stuff that we've seen, but we've seen and we, we've seen him do it in such a way that it is kind of, like, it does live up to the myth in a way. Mm, you know? Mm, I mean, we absolutely. did see, like, a bit of the pencil, like, with, with the two guys with two pencils. So you can kind of, like, deduce mm. from that, like, oh, he really, like... That's not that's not a lie. Like no mm, one's like mm. exaggerating there. He definitely is the kind of guy who could kill three men in a bar with a pencil. Oh, uh, easily. And, and the thing yeah. I love with that is like in the at the start of the second film when they mention that Vigo's brother's just like, who does that? Like who yeah. who does that? Who is able to do that? And it's the exact kind of response that we would have like when we yeah. first hear it. It's like, okay, in what film ever has someone been able to kill three people in a bar with a pencil? How how? It's like it's, <laughs> yeah, I, I I do yeah, and on, and on sort of. The flip side of that, I, I I agree that, yeah, I think, but based on what I said before, I, I do sort of stand by that in the sense of that it doesn't sort of take away from the mystery. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, again, we do see him like kicking ass in this first film and the second and third film as well. So it's not like it's not taking too much away. It was just an interesting point that I sort of thought up. 
um, regarding the film and, and yeah. how that's put together in this trilogy generally. But um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I think the the story in this film, though, again, I'll stand by that. I, I feel like it's the most interesting personally for me. The story, I feel like, as much as the second one, again, we'll talk about that after the break. The, it does step up in terms of obviously because it goes a bit, bit more worldwide. Um, and it does have a lot more to it. I still find a lot more enjoyment out of the first one. I don't know, I don't know why, but I can, maybe I kind of like the sort of indie vibe of it. But it's not just about yeah. being based in the sort of one location because kind of John Wick 3 spends a lot of time doing that as well. And that's kind of what I don't like about John Wick 3. So it's an interesting one. I, th- I feel like a lot of film sort of um, sagas get will get the first film a bit of a free pass because it always has to do well if there's going to be films to follow. And I think for me, again, like, I can't not love John Wick 1. And I, it's difficult to compare the ones after it to the original because I kind of like the original that much. Yeah. No, I, I can get that. I can get that. And it's, I think it's also pretty... I think it, it, maybe there's something to be said by the fact that you watch them all, like, back to back. You know, you got to what you got to compare them immediately when the first time you watched them. Whereas yeah. for me, you know, I was... I mean, I saw pretty much 1 and 2. It was quite close to back to back. I think there might have been... Oh, I don't know, two, three months in between, because obviously mm. the trailer push had started by that point for two for me to go, I watched the first one, but I saw two in the cinema and then saw three in the cinema, so maybe I had more time, like... Mm. I don't know whether there's anything, any difference to, to make out of that, but maybe you notice things that sat with you a bit quicker because you'd watched them in such quick succession, whereas I'd had time to sit on each film and then see the next one build up. I don't know. Yeah. That, that might be just... That might be just me talking on my backside, yeah. but... Maybe. <laughs> no, but I think there's just different ways of seeing it. It depends on what you look for in films as well, and I think that's a huge thing of it is... Yeah. I love the world building, but there comes a point... I think, again, again, we'll touch upon the third film in a bit, but I think... <laughs> I know I keep saying that, but it's like... I wanted to try to like restrict myself a little bit, but when I watched that, I was a little bit like, okay, right, this is getting a little bit too... It's getting, it's, it's getting a lot now, which is not a bad thing by any means. Because again, the world building's brilliant. They really do develop it. They really do justify the decisions. But there is something about the third film, which when I get to it, I'll talk about it in more detail. That I just something that just feels lesser than the first two, um, uh, and definitely the first. When looking at the sort of story and the way it's put together, and even some of the action sequences, I think the first film does stand out the most in terms of a sort of. And maybe that's because it is a standalone story that you can enjoy sort of no matter what. Um, or maybe it's just because I prefer it. I don't know. <laughs> it could be it could be i i don't know i uh, and i think also that something to note with me is that i'm an, a very very optimistic person it's very rare i'll walk out of a film and, and mm. not like praise the merits of it it's very rare like the last time i walked out of a film and was like that's absolutely terrible was cats mm. which is understandable, understandable. yeah because okay. that <laughs> film was a mess but like most of the time like if a film is like more criticized or panned i tend to either enjoy it or at least find a lot of good things in it so i probably am like in my head like really homing in on the things i like about the second and third film that might be why i like them more i feel like for each film there's like something that stands out to me so mm. for me the first one is like the simplicity the kind of like the indie vibe of it it's a very simple story but it does it in such a way that that's really well done and we can get into the second and third ones but for me the second one is the plot is a bit thicker you know there's more mm. going on more and the world building's it. better and yeah. for the third one for me it's spending more time with characters like winston and sharon like sharon gets a really like a like a much more time to shine which i really liked because mm. he's just kind of like the desk clerk in the first two films with mm. some of the best lines in the film. I'm mm. sorry to say, sir, but nobody's that good. Like, stuff like yeah. that, which is just, like, m- like absolutely beautifully quotable. Yeah. But, like, that's... I think that's probably why each one, like, I feel like it addresses different things that maybe previous films didn't do so well. Like, Winston and Sharon and characters like that are 
in the first two films, mm. but they don't really get a lot of time. Whereas in the three, you know, you've got Winston's going to get removed from the Continental. Sharon gets to show his prowess with guns and that kind of thing. The second one, I feel like, like I said, the first one, the, the plot's really simple. It's, you know, dog mm. gets killed, car is stolen, gets him back. Well, doesn't even get the car back in that film, but gets his revenge. Second one, it's, oh, he's trying to heart bury everything. We can get, I'm, I'm literally doing the same thing as you. I'm drawing us into the second film before the break. But like, you know, it, it feels like there's more... Like, if you were to write each... Like, the, the plot of each film in bullet points, I feel like you get the most bullet points out of mm. chapter two. Because I feel like that's, more things happen in that which make it more interesting that's, and more that's, unique. That's definitely a really good point. And I think... Again, we'll talk about it after the break. I keep saying that. But it's... Yeah, I think... <laughs> this, this break is becoming a bit of a mystery. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but I think... Yeah, I think really with John Wick 1, just to round that off, because I think I don't really know if there's much more to say about that. And we're about half an hour in, so we can always jump on a break now and then we'll talk, be able to talk more about John Wick 2 and feel finally relieved to talk about a different film. And then uh, we'll still talk about John Wick 3 yeah. while we're doing that. Like, uh, like John Wick 3 will be the only time we can settle. And then we'll start yeah. going backwards. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I do agree with what you mean there in terms of like the like how much is actually in the film. John Wick 1 is quite basic. But I feel like for me, that's kind of why I enjoy it as much as I do. I feel like it's that's that's sort of part of it. I feel like mm. when it's not trying to overcomplicate things, and it's not that I want something simple and easy, but when it comes to the action genre and that sort of style, I'm not looking for something that's really going to test my mind a little bit. And I don't think that John Wick two and three do do that too much, but it is, as you say, a lot more than the first film. They have a lot more in them, and I guess maybe that's just not as much for me but again we'll talk about that after the break which we're going to go on now before i end up saying that about a hundred more good times. move good move um <laughs> when we return we'll be talking about john wick 2 but before we do that we are going to be doing our little first segment that we always do i messed that up uh, our first little segment that we do on spill your beans here which is called the record spinner so we'll see you after the break Welcome back to the second part of our John Wick trilogy review on Spill Your Beans. Before we get on to John Wick 2, or John Wick, is it chapter 2? Chapter 2, yeah. Chapter 2, my bad. John Wick <laughs> chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be asking um, Troy here about uh, his pick for the record spinner. Right, so... So the record spinner, just to sort of clarify for people who haven't seen one of these before um we ask guests to pick out either their favorite film soundtrack in its entirety or an individual track from a film that they absolutely love and could put above any other a little bit like desert island discs but we're not going to rip them off probably shouldn't have named it um <laughs> so <laughs> so feel free to let us know we've got some great picks so far uh but what is your choice today I hope it's not too kind of like smooth brain going for a Marvel film, but I have to say Ooh. that the Avengers Endgame soundtrack for me, there's something about it. I think it's I think it's also partially helped by the fact that the composer, Alan Silvestri, had done a few other Marvel films and was able to like call back a lot of motifs. Like if you watch the first Avengers film and then Endgame right after, you can hear a lot of themes that are being reused or remixed. But for me in particular, it's the one piece of music which is in two tracks but it's mainly in uh the real hero which is the funeral uh mm. piece for tony stark which is just like I i'm a big fan of like film soundtracks and like pieces that you kind of have looping in your head after you've seen a film but there's something about that piece that i think was really really beautifully written and really emotional mm. that i think made it kind of elevate it above 
a lot of other tracks because there are plenty I could pick out in that soundtrack. Like I could sit here and list a bunch of them to you and and probably mm. be here for twenty minutes. But it's the fact that it's also I, I like how clever it is that the same music is is like slightly inverted and then used again at the start mm. of the film when like it, he's still in the ship and you have the same kind of like motif with the with the strings, which is almost like a really clever way of foreshadowing that Tony is gonna yeah. die. It's gonna happen. Yeah. And it's almost like preparing you, like in the back of your head for that, because it's a, it's by the time you get to the funeral, it's a scene that that you've you, you almost have feel some familiarity in because you've heard the music so like mm. such a similar piece, like well by that point three hours ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I I totally agree. I watched uh, Avengers Endgame quite recently, and yeah, the music's absolutely stunning. Mm. Um, again, as you say, with all the motifs and all that sort of thing that they can use, but obviously with the time travel plot as well, going back to like the first Avengers and stuff, them being able to use all of this music and all these sort of um, references within the music is is brilliant, and it's so well put together. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a to, great... like to the extent where I'll go back and then spot another one. Like I remember at one point, yeah. I, like the music that plays when he's grabbing the gun off Thanos right before he dies. It's like that's a beautiful piece. I think it's called the One. Mm. And I was, and I remember I've seen I'd seen Endgame like hundreds, well not hundreds of times, but like I've I went to the cinema to see it. How many times in the end? I'm bad with cinema because I don't tend to go out and like go out for like drinks and stuff like my thing is like pop vinyls which you can kind of see some of my set and there's a cupboard full of them here it's <laughs> pop vinyls and cinema trips so i went to the end i think nine times because i love watching movies in the cinema oh, i absolutely yeah. adore it so i'd wow. seen endgame loads and at one point i went back to watch the first avengers film and noticed that same piece from him grabbing the gauntlet was the piece that played as he kind of like falls back through the wormhole in avengers mm. it's the same like build up of music and every time i noticed a new one i'm like it's so cleverly done like it was a very smart move to have the same composer on three of the four films to, to really like you know reflect on some of his older pieces and modernize them and mix it up mm. a bit to make it familiar and yet new for the last film because that that's something that Endgame did so well you know it was something new but also was, bit like was based very much in familiarity with the time travel etc. It, it was a perfect sort of homage to the previous like twenty odd films that they'd already made yeah. in the MCU and it was also I think really helped by. Um, picking the right composer for it. I think Alan Silvestri was perfect for that and mm. did an absolutely phenomenal job with it. I think he's a brilliant composer anyway. Um, but his work on Endgame and Infinity War as well, um, absolutely stunning. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, that's a great pick. That's a great pick for the record. Why, thank very, happy, you. <laughs> very happy to have that on there. Um, do you have a particular favourite track from this soundtrack that you'd want to sort of highlight? It's it's got to be the real hero. I don't think it could be any other one. Like you know, just that 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 emotion in that track is mm. just, it's fantastic. Like this, like I'm not someone like I will cry at a film or a TV show or a game or something. Like if I'm even a little bit attached, I'm not like the most kind of mm. emotionally rigid person. But there's something about that soundtrack. Every single time I watch the film, it's got me in tears because it's so beautifully it's done. And then it, it's, it, it's such a good backdrop to everything you're seeing with everyone. Like on the pier and at the funeral and seeing all the people gathered up like it all complements each other it, like everything so well that when you listen to the music on its own which i have quite a few times mm. you almost start to feel yourself getting a bit emotional just listening to it because you can visualize everything so well yeah yeah absolutely i i, I agree as well i've been in that position i remember when i first watched it i was definitely in tears and then oh god remember, midnight premiere three in the yeah. morning like yeah. oh my god my mum was with me and like she was she's not as bad as me emotionally but like we were both <laughs> just like inconsolable it yeah. was it was a very Oh, that film. I remember like listening to the music not too long after as well, and being like, "Yeah, no, this is this is shit. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this has got me." Um, but, but that's that's one of the reasons why, like, because I know we're gonna go to like my pick for favorite film, 
and my pick for that is something that isn't like like it's it's kind of my favorite but isn't because my favorite film i would probably pin on endgame for like how mm. how well it concludes everything and like the music and the performances and all the plot like that's why i've split things up so my film pick will be a bit different it's like my second favorite film i guess or like mm. what i tend to term as my my favorite non-marvel film because I'm yeah. far too much of a nerd about Marvel stuff. I mean, you can see mm. the shield and my thing. It's kind of a shame it's an audio thing because I could literally spend 10 minutes showing you the amount of Marvel things <laughs> and not things I have in my room. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but, I remember when you first joined this call, I was sort of looking like, uh, yeah. you have so many things to note there. I was like, what's in the... Oh my God, there's so many like, Doctor Who posters there and like the cap shield, the sonic screwdrivers. Yeah, there's, there's the Doctor Who steel books, which I'm going to move my mic so you can see. They're there. Oh, brilliant. Um, and that's, that's, that's a Jody pop that was like limited to 1300 so I was hell. like I was very lucky to get hold of that I was very, very nice very yeah, nice indeed I, I'm, I'm a big collector of this stuff it's kind of a problem Jesus <laughs> well fair play I, I feel sorry for the Spotify users who can't see that but uh, we'll be sure to share maybe a little uh, video clip on uh, social media if you want to see that <laughs> at some point um, but yes that's that for the record spinner. We'll jump over to a film that we've been trying to talk about for the last half an hour. Um, John Wick 2. John Wick Chapter 2. I keep getting it wrong. Um, <laughs> what do you think about this film? So, uh, probably it's, it's a good place to, to carry on was, was what I said, you know, because we kept kind of talking mm. at John Wick 2 and 3, was that, like I said, every film, I think, has its strong suits. And for me, 2 is the way, first off, the world building. So, like, you know, it brings up the high table and, like, some of the the more overarching names and powers above like the continental and everything but also mm. the plot i feel is thicker in this one because you know it's it's not just getting revenge for someone who's wronged him it's you know he starts off by trying to bury his past again like the cementing the floor i thought was quite good and then mm. as soon as he's finished cementing it in comes santino with this offer and explains the whole system of the markers the house gets burned down he's going off to do santino's contract he gets betrayed he's chasing down santino kills him breaks the rules like there's there's a lot of bouncing around in the plot where i think the substance there is a lot better than the first film mm. i think that's personally what makes it stand out a bit more to me and also as i said like with the second and third films i feel as though cinematically they kind of find their footing a bit more with the way they frame things and shoot things and even the lighting i think as well like there's a lot of like really serious color filters in the first film that i think are lost to an extent because they go more for the neon kind of vibe because mm. the first like 10 minutes of john wick is this really deep blue filter on everything and you don't yeah. really see that again in the other two films. Mm. So, I, I do, I do like this film. Don't get me wrong. I, I think it's the perfect kind of sequel to John Wick. I couldn't imagine them doing it in any other way. They build yeah. on the world building quite a lot, um, and it's a unique story. It's not just the it's not just the first film again, which I always love when you know films in a franchise can do that because you look at stuff like Terminator when they went from like Terminator Two to Terminator Three, and it was just the same, the same film again basically. Um, this is so like different to the first film. And I think that's one thing I love about these films generally, is that they constantly are different from the previous one. And if you don't like one of these films, you're sort of fine because the next one is you know is going to be totally different thematically, mm. um, in terms of the story structure, the way they use the sort of medallions in this um, to sort of exchange for a favor, and the way that's sort of twisted round, I think is so clever. It's such a it's such a unique and sort of different way to sort of tell the the story of this guy from the first film which is just he's getting his revenge this is okay he needs like this is a favor that he's supposed to owe and he doesn't want to wrong anyone else because he still wants to retire wants to get this done he wants to just move on but i love the the sort of the, the way they twist this and 
he goes and does that but then still gets the gun turned on him as well and then has to go and fight back generally this it works very well um and it's definitely a, a better well i would say a better film but like the there's a lot more to it uh, mm. than the first film which i think is particularly enjoyable i think the one thing i don't like as much about this film um which does carry on as sort of like a trend in the john Wick films from now on at least i assume it will be because it's been in, in two and three is the sort of cliffhanger ending i feel yeah. like as much as it works in the story um john wick killing santino in the continental and then them like using that as like a sort of story point for next time it's a good ending it's a cool ending but it just sort of like it's almost like a shame because i quite like the self-contained nature of the first one with it still being able to jump onto a second film it would have been nice if the second film could do that as well because it seems like now it's set a trend where yeah two is going to do that three is going to do that almost definitely chapter four is going to do that as well well, the thing with Chapter 4 that I saw was, like, I mean, not to go down a Marvel road again, but I saw that they, they said that they initially planned, they aren't now, but they initially planned to shoot 4 and 5 back-to-back. -back. And in my head, immediately, nice. I was like, what were the last two big films that were filmed back-to-back? -back? Oh, yeah, Infinity War and Endgame. There's going to be a mm. massive cliffhanger on 4. I was like, my brain immediately went there. I've ah. since read that they've, they've gone back on that because of, I think, because of COVID and also with with uh, The Matrix 4 and a few other bits. They're still going to release a year yeah. apart, apparently. So like the fourth one is going to be May 2022, and then the fifth one's going to be May 2023. So they're still going to be releasing quite close. But That's pretty good, yeah. It, it, which gives me the impression that even though you know Keanu said he'll keep doing them as long as they're successful, I wonder whether they'll probably stop at five. Which, to be fair, I mean, you know, like there, there has to be a point where you've got to bring it to an end before <sighs> it gets a bit stupid. I mean, that, that's a that's a good place to stop five. Yeah. I think. I mean, three probably would have been a good place to stop, but if they're not going to stop there, <laughs> which they aren't. Five probably is the one where it's like, okay, that's 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 a good place to stop it. It's a nice number to stop it at. If you're gonna do the sort of two part thing, um, because obviously they they start having like nicknames now, isn't it? What, what the John Wick Chapter Three was what Parabellum. Par par that's that one, and then they'll probably do something Part One and something Part Two, maybe for Four and Five if they're gonna release it a year back to back. So I don't know. I I kind of feel like that would be a good place to stop it. But I think, yeah, I, I, it all comes back to, to chapter two and the way that sort of sets a precedent for the future films in terms of that sort of cliffhanger ending. And I don't mind it. I think the ending in this film's good. I just, yeah, it's not, I, I just, I kind of wish it ended a bit more self-contained like the first film did because that's sort of what I really liked about the first film is that it is just its own thing. I think one thing that I noted with John Wick 2 in particular was that it was the point where you began to realize this was not really like our real world mm. because there are a lot of moments in that film where either someone gets killed or someone's getting beaten up or there's some kind of violent fight and it's very rare people actually respond in the way you would expect you know there's like a dead body in the train station and you know a train pulls up and they keep going and no one's really kind of like panicking over that at least that we mm. see but mm. the biggest thing for me was as soon as at the cliffhanger ending winston signaled for everyone to just stop and turn and face john Mm. like that's the point where you're like okay it's not just a few assassins bouncing from hotel to hotel it's like it could be easily feasible like half the people on the planet are in this kind of underworld in some some way or shape or form yeah because everybody's getting that phone call everybody's looking at him as he's running away like there's too many people for it to be like it's the cool. odd few people in an underworld cool. like it, it, it really does yeah it's fantastic but that's the point where Think you're like okay this is a slightly different world not to mention yeah it's a world where keanu Reeves can get hit by a car about three times and shrug it off yeah <laughs> i mean it's stretching the realms of possibility a little bit Just a towards bit, yeah. um the end of these three films but i think the the thing about 
that isn't it doesn't really affect the second film as much really other than the fact that it's not really self-contained because it still starts as its own film not continuing yeah. from the last one whereas three because of the way two ends three end uh, begins with a continuation and ends with a cliffhanger so it's sort of like it doesn't really have much of a start and a finish yeah, to the story. Yeah, like I said earlier, wasn't it? Where it's yeah. like, you, know, you could probably jump in with John Wick 2, but you struggle more with 3 for the way that it's yeah. it's, it's paced. You know, like and the that's... whole opening section is the consequences of 2. And I feel like, yeah, because they shot themselves in the foot by making a pretty decent, exciting ending for John Wick 2, but I feel like for 3, it, it sort of, it does damage it a little bit. Not too much. I mean, it's still a decent film, but it does make it a lot less accessible than the first two films, I find. Hmm. Yeah, and it's true. It is true. Um, um, yeah, but I, the one thing I think we um, haven't really touched on in the first film uh, that we'll talk about now a little bit is the casting. Oh yes, because the cast in these films are so good. I like. I genuinely from like. I mean, obviously Keanu Reeves is brilliant. Um, yeah. But do you have any notable cast members who you'd like to sort of mention? Because there's a lot of characters who are just so well done. Well, I mean, yeah, like, Keanu Reeves is just, like, he's champagne casting. He's fantastic. Like, mm. there's very few people I feel like could fill that role to the point where, like, I don't know whether we'll talk about it later, but we were saying about Nobody, how that was, like, a mm. like another kind of John McStyle film. Like, I was even surprised that Bob Odenkirk was, like, really, really good in that because I kind of mm. thought, you know, John Mc... Like, Keanu was such a good casting for that that I couldn't imagine anyone else doing anything similar, mm. which, mm. you know, is a good thing. When you got someone where you kind of can't imagine anyone else filling his shoes, you know you've got a good casting there mm. but i think for me i mean i mentioned that i really like sharon i'm just a fan of lance reddick just generally to be honest i mean he's been in a couple yeah. of the games and things that i quite like but ian mcshane as well i think was really really good casting he's, for winston he's brilliant ian mcshane is just a fantastic so actor yeah. yeah and he just i don't know what it is but there's something so enjoyable about his character and the stuff around the continental again not just with the world building but it just makes it feel so much more enjoyable um mm. And, of course, Lawrence Fishburne in this film as well. He gets introduced as oh. the Bowery King, um, who is brilliant. He's great, isn't he? I mean, we knew he would be because it's Lawrence Fishburne, but he's he's actually particularly pretty good in these films. As, he's fantastic. Yeah. Um, try to look at other mentions here. I mean, there's plenty of... There are plenty of different characters. I think the problem I have with these films a little bit is that the villains are, are all right, but I just wish they would... I mean, the first John Wick film has a great villain. And it, it's yeah. re really well done. I feel like since then, they get a tiny bit more, like, comic booky as time goes on. Only slightly. I don't think they're terrible. I just... I don't know. Yeah. I just... I, I, I don't know what it is about the guy. Is it um, Santino in this film? I just... I, I yeah. like the guy, but I'm just sort of like... What are your motives here? Like, you want him to do you a favour, then you, like, send a hit squad. Like, it's just... Yeah, I'm always kind of like that because it was funny again. I said to her, like, you know, I'm going to watch these films. Podcast. She went, oh, I'll watch them again. It's a good reason. And one thing mm. she picked up on was like, you know, why is he suddenly he's suddenly turning on him after he's done the job? And mm. I was kind of like, well, it's probably because, you know, Santino got rejected and burned down John Mick's house. Like once mm. he's free of the market, it would make sense that John would get his own back because revenge is a very clear motif for a lot of these films. Like it makes sense that you do that. So I kind of saw it as... But Santino like, moving first. You know, he even, knew John was going to try and get him, so why not kill him after he's done the job as if he can immediately? But even with that as part of the character, like, why did he decide to just burn down his house? I know it was like a sort of like, oh, he wasn't going to... But he could have very easily just gone to this organisation and been like, look, John Wick's not, like, picking up this marker. He's supposed to do it. That's part of one of the rules. Can someone talk to him? And then he has that same conversation with Winston. From a character point of view, Santino in the second film just... It, 
makes a I mean, few decisions that I just is, don't really. I feel as though the build up there would not be enjoyable if it's just let's have a chat with a guy who kills a lot of people. Yeah, no, I know. Of, in terms of gotta fight fire with fire. In terms of a film, it's like obviously that's the only way it would be the, the most entertaining to do that. My only thing was, especially when you compare it to the first film, um, Vigo in the first film, I, I love that. I love him as a villain because it's sort of like, it's very knee-jerk. He doesn't know what to do. He's like, shit, I yeah. don't want my like son to die, but like... Cool it, cool it, cool it, cool it, cool it. Yeah, he's just sort of, he doesn't know what to do and he's just sort of panicking and do, making the decisions that you would expect someone in that position to make. It doesn't matter how powerful or amazing they are, they are going to panic if it's John Wick and that sort of, again, plays into that mystery of that character. Um a little bit more but then even with the third one I, it's not that i don't like the the whole high table thing with the the judicator and zero but they're just compare again even though i'm not a huge fan of centino he's he's still pretty good oh i, I think out of the villain zero is probably the, the, the problem with zero though is that like he's kind of like the fanboy bad guy which i liked like i thought mm. it was quite funny the way you know like him sitting down next to john and john having to move and him being like i'm a big fan is that the dog like i liked all that but it also does detract from him being like a formidable villain because he yeah. is just walking around like it's like best friends and all that kind of thing and yeah i did like the quips but that that in itself felt a bit more marvelish you know like, like, like a big fight yeah he's got a sword in the chest and then goes whoo that was a good fight john like yeah you wouldn't see vigo or santino do that so. Yeah, exactly. It was it was a little bit more almost comedic, that character. And then the adjudicator, I feel, was a lot more generic, generally. And I, I meant that I, might I be a bit of a like hot that, take. I the mystery, mystery era about them. I can't remember the actor's name, but they were they were fantastic. You know, I thought... Oh, they, they, they were good. Job. They, they were pretty bloody good, but I just... It's like, oh, come on, I just want... I, I just... The one thing I love about villains in these sorts of films is motivation and sort of, like, realistic mm. motives to do what you're doing. And I just... I know she's like working for the the high table or whatever but it just didn't it's it's just not it wasn't it wasn't really for me i think again in terms of villains the quality goes down film by film um yeah i mean, I'll agree with you on that then the, i don't really know what else to say about the second ones i mean we can just touch upon the third one a little bit more here because there's a, a huge think, um it's it is an interesting one i'm not really sure because, I just briefly yeah. mentioned Ruby Rose in the second one. I quite liked her as as Ares, which it was funny because I hadn't seen her in anything before that point, so I thought she was uh, like a sign language actress. It was only afterwards I realised she wasn't, but mm. like I quite liked the air of that character. You know, someone who doesn't speak, who is like a silent assassin and is just kind of like watching from the shadows. I really liked mm. that vibe about her. Yeah, um, that's, 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 yeah. I, I, I that was an interesting character. Side character, like, so not much to yeah, say. Yeah, no, of course. That was a, a nice little I didn't mind it. On. I didn't mind it. Um, but I think like the second film is like a solid step up in terms of a sequel. It's a really effective sequel. I personally prefer the first film, but that's, that by no means takes away from the second film. The second film is still pretty bloody good, and definitely a, a significant step up in terms of world building and uh, in terms of the sort of general style of it. They've probably got more budget. They've probably got more sort of they can work around little bits of it. Um, I don't really know where to go with this because we can talk about the third film now a little bit. I guess. Um, hmm. I'll, let me listen to it because I took so many notes. I said this to you before we started. Like, I, I was like, I'll watch the films and I'll take some notes and have some points down. And then ended up just writing basically a commentary of the mm. entire film of like yeah. all the little bits that I really liked. Um, yeah. 
Callback lines, I think, are quite good in the films. You know, like, there's, there's like, I, I can't, I'm, there's definitely one in the third one. There's actually the one in the third one I quite like, it's more subtle, but, like, you know, the first one, you got the Russian translation, which I like the first bit anyway. I, I love, I love scenes when you get someone insulting somebody in another language and they think they can't understand them, but they can. Mm. It's like, like, you know, he's like, you know, um, everything's got a price, bitch, and he replies with not ev- not this bitch. And then mm. he uses the same line later when Yosef rings who he thinks is Victor and goes, where's Victor? And he goes, Victor's dead. Everything's got a price. Um, mm. it's, it's like, I love that that idea that, you know, you can insult someone. They won't understand you. It's like in Black Panther. I know I'm going Marvel again and I've, I've got a problem yeah, yeah, doing yeah. this, but it's like that scene where he's like, does she speak English when she wants to? I love that kind of like, that yeah. joke there. The second one is the, in the second film is with Cassian where it's the, you know, they're having a little drink in the bar and they're like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll make, make the kill quick, consider it a professional courtesy. And then mm. they have their fight in the train. John shoves a knife in and says, you know, you pull this out, you're going to die. Consider it a professional cur- courtesy. Um, mm. I liked that callback. Yeah. The third one was very subtle, good. which probably will be a good a good carry on to the, onto the third film, to be fair, anyway. So I'm, I'm, doing, a, I'm doing your job for you, apparently. No, um, <laughs> was from Sharon. It was a really subtle one. Um, I wrote the actual word down because I don't want to get this wrong because it was right towards the end of the film. Um, yeah, so right after the fight, before him and Winston go up onto the roof, he says to, to Winston, are we in play, sir? And then right at the end, after Winston shot John, he's fallen off, he goes, well played, sir. Like, there's a little bit of a... Mm, mm. W- watching that back, it suggests me more, because when, when that, fir- that he first like kind of betrayed John, I was convinced he'd actually turned into a, like, a bad character. But mm. every time since, I'm like, no, he's got a grander scheme here. Like He, he made sure to shoot him in the suit, which he knew was bulletproof. He made mm. sure to push him towards the edge of a building where there definitely were things to break his fall as violent as it was. Mm. I feel like he had a grander plan there and knew that John would survive, but I oh, like 100%. the little subtle callback from Sharon there that, you know, there was a bit of a plan going on there. Yeah. I think in, in the second film, I, I do, just to sort of touch on that, there's like one sort of final bit that I really kind of enjoy is, mm. um, I, I love when he gets back to sort of New York City and he's sort of being... Sort of tracked down by loads of different people, and he's sort of being like hunted by all these different like assassins and stuff. That's and that's so entertaining because it's sort of like you feel like everything's everyone's trying to be subtle, but he's also just trying to like he's evading everyone. And it's kind of it that's kind of almost a little bit of my problem with the third one. Just jumping into that is that it does take my favorite part of the second film and then just make it the whole like third film, which is like okay but if you make a sort of a decent segment future length it's not always going to work as well and i feel like yeah. those scenes in the second one for me i find more enjoyable than most of the third film even though it's doing basically the same thing in a weird way there's the I stuff in the, the stuff in the, the stuff in the train stations and stuff with like the sort of the silence they're like holding to the chest i think that's oh, brilliant that's great. it's great the, the third one i think i think the first like proper set piece that i love of that one is the in the like the, the history museum, I guess it is with like all of the throwing knives and tomahawks and stuff. That mm, is mm, that whole scene, start gorgeous. to finish, is fantastically done that's and brilliant. very very brutal. Um, and I think there is a compliment to be had about you know because it is just a fight scene after fight scene after fight, fight scene, pretty much in John Wick three. I think the only one that maybe suffered a little bit was the Morocco one with him and Sophia, I think her name is, where they're using the dogs. I feel like that set piece maybe goes on a bit too long, not I by feel... much, but there's a lot of like. Yeah, fight, that is a big... Fighting a dogs and fighting a dogs and fighting a dogs that maybe could have been trimmed down a bit. Well, I, I tell you what, I mean, what what I might do now is I think we'll probably head off for a break because I feel like we've got a lot to say about John Wick 3. Um, and I don't want to kind of split it between two. the problem with these films. Two. They, they, yeah. they, they, they connect together so much that you can't really talk about one without talking about yeah. the others, can you? Yeah, we'll head on a break. And when we come back, um, we're going to be talking to you about our 
pick, well, your pick, sorry, for the 64K ultra mega high definition range, um, <laughs> as well as John Wick 3. And if we've got a little bit of time, we'll touch on Nobody as well. But um, yeah, see you after the break. Hello and welcome back to the final part of our John Wick trilogy review. Before we talk about John Wick Chapter 3, um, we're going to be talking to you now, Troy, about your pick for the 64K Ultra Mega High Definition range. We ask guests on Spill Your Beans uh, to pick their choice for a film in this very exclusive DVD collection. It's not a DVD, it's not a Blu-ray, it's not 4K, it's not a Criterion Collection, it's not a Steelbook. Get them all out of the way. This is the most exclusive and barely any films get added to it. And you get the lucky privilege today of adding one of your favourite films to this collection for everyone to enjoy. What do you pick? So I've got... Um, well, I had one one film I had immediately, which was one that I put in the application form, I remember, um, when you, you picked it out. I was like, have you seen this film? You were like, no. I thought, right, it's a good chance for me to kind of like sell it off before <laughs> I do it. Like, Because you said about potential honourable mentions, so my one I would pick as an honourable mention would be The Fly the 1986 remake with Jeff Goldblum. Because mm. that film, I only just watched it. I mean, <laughs> great festive film. I only just watched it Christmas Eve last year. It was um, it was a film that I, I didn't know much about. And I feel like a lot of the films that go see my mum, she's like a very good influence with this stuff. But that's just because we watch a lot of stuff together. It's it's, it's quite funny. But she went, you, you should watch these films. You know, I saw this when, I, when, when it came out and I remembered it being quite good, but I want to watch it again. And I was kind of like, oh, do, do I care? But mm. she said, Jeff Goldblum's in it. And I went, Okay, I'll give it a watch. I'll see what I think. And it just, it sounds very dramatic, but that film did quite literally blow me away. There was something about it that I thought was absolutely fantastic. I mean, to briefly explain the plot, I don't know how many spoilers I should go into, so I'll try and be careful. <laughs> but to briefly summarize it, it's basically about a scientist played by Jeff Goldblum, who at the same time dresses like Mr. Bean, never been able to unsee that, um, <laughs> who experiments with these teleportation pods and tries to you know, in the 80s show that you can come up with this amazing teleportation tech. And when he tests it upon himself, he inadvertently combines his DNA with a fly and over the course of the film slowly morphs into a creature, which I don't even think you can even name, really. Have you seen the film, just for, for reference? I haven't seen the film, but I'm looking at the seen it, so I'll be disgusted. very, very careful. You should yeah. definitely watch it. It's on Disney Plus now in the UK, which is what I thought was quite surprising. So it's like yeah. it's accessible. It's well worth watching, genuinely. So I'll be very that, careful, yeah. but what i will say is um the thing i love most about it is for an 80s film you typically watch like older films now especially people of our mm. age it's very easy to fall into kind of the trope of going oh all the visual effects will be terrible all this will be really boring it's gonna look really dated i am genuinely even though you can kind of still tell it was done in the 80s it doesn't surprise me at all that it won a, an oscar for like visual effects and like for practical effects mm. and makeup because the way they did some of the stuff of the film, I'm dancing around it because I want to be careful for your sake and for everyone else's <laughs> listening. Because honestly, I can't recommend the film enough. But the way it's done in stages throughout the film is like about six or seven stages where like the, the practical ma the makeup is changed around and new things are done. It's genuinely impressive to the point where I wouldn't want that. I almost prefer it being practical. Because, you know, CGI these days can look fantastic. But I think there was something so charming about the fact that it was all practically done there was no kind of like visual effects in it it was beautifully mm. done and because it came from a director um oh what's his name uh david cronenberg, cronenberg. yes yeah. david cronenberg who's known for like body horror type films like he mm. really lent into that kind of 
style of his filmmaking and did it in a fantastic way. Jeff Goldblum's performance was fantastic. He should have won an Oscar for that alone. Um, Gina Davis was brilliant as well. But it's just, it's a very good self-contained story, which did get a sequel. And it's kind of like John Wick in the sense where you didn't really need a sequel. But the <laughs> sequel is panned. I don't think it's as bad as people make out. It definitely isn't as good as the first one, but it, it, it deserves more credit than it than it has. But um, mm. I think the performance of Jeff Goldblum combined with the practical effects make that film absolutely fantastic. And I cannot recommend it enough for people to watch. So mm. if you ever do watch it, I want you to tell me because I want I want to know like if you. Share I, well, well, I absolutely will. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Um, but now I've got to make sure I spend more time on the film I actually wants to pick because that that went off like. It's a hell of an honourable mention. <laughs> it's honestly like it's a fantastic film. Very very close to the one I picked, um, which is Bad Times at the El Royale, mm. which is. It's a film, it's it's weird, because that film I only really saw, I think it was a trailer in the cinema for, and there was something about it that caught me immediately. It's, um, I mean, I'm literally going to read from the Wikipedia for like the first sentence. It's a 2018 American neo-noir thriller film. So it's done by Drew Goddard, and the box office didn't do well. It came in as a loss. It made uh, $31.9 million against a $32 million budget, so not much of a loss, but like with marketing and stuff, it wasn't mm. super su- successful. But there was something about it to me of the the concept of basically there's these seven different strangers that all converge on this one hotel in the late 60s, which for one thing makes the soundtrack fantastic. There's a whole Mm. different bunch of like 60 songs that are brilliantly done. But you've got Jeff Bridges, you've got Cynthia Erivo, you've got John Hamm and Chris Hemsworth, who is fantastic, who kind of plays the... Villain is a is a, a difficult term to use in this film. I don't really think there is a villain per se because everyone kind of has a dark side in their own way, shape, and form. But like a pseudo villain, Chris Hemsworth is fantastic, especially from someone who has really gotten used to him because of Thor. Like seeing mm. him take on a different role like that, I thought was really really fantastic. But it's just it basically tries to you know give a story to all seven of these characters and you know what brings them all to this location and like several events transpire again i'm, I'm i have to dance around plot points i have to be very careful because otherwise i'll just go in i'll say one spoiler and then spoil everything so i'm making sure i don't even mm. spoil like the littlest detail but i think the casting choices were all fantastic i think they really nailed it with who was playing which part the pacing i think is the potentially the only issue with the film and i think critics did pace, pick up on that i think the film's about two hours 20 minutes long um, it could have been knocked down a little bit, I think, probably inside the two-hour mark. Mm. But they really said the location was really well. You know, it was meant to be this hotel that was on the border between California and Nevada. And I thought that in itself was quite an interesting concept. You know, even like the rooms were more expensive on one side than the other. Like the attention to detail mm. and stuff was was really good. But I think the time period that it was set in really helped. I think having it be something that's a bit more old-fashioned and then combining that with the music and the sound, and like the soundtrack, both of the film and the actual licensed music really backed it up very well. But the plot is to me is just very interesting because you don't really understand a lot of the characters motivations until like their plots come to a head be it if a character dies or if a character is like you know making it to the end of the film you finally find out their true intentions and it keeps you guessing in a way that i think a lot of films sometimes struggle with but i think that film managed quite well you know this the the main character of, mm. of uh, father flame played by jeff bridges right the way through looking at him and going there's something off about his character and you can't place it you don't really know what it is and then you explain the story like okay like everything seems to me like a reasonable explanation to bring it up nothing really seems too far-fetched for the time period i quite like that about it but Mm. i think it's just it's one of those films that for me while i don't think it's one that everyone will love and i understand the criticism it gets it's kind of like one of those things where it's like a cult classic for me personally where it's one i'll tell my kids about it's one i'll tell my friends about that it's not really raved about but to me like is special to me 
Mm. Also, because it was one that I like, I was really proud of myself for seeing the trailer and going, you know what? That looks really different to anything I've ever seen. I'm going to check that out and see what I think. And was really glad I did. Because even when mm. it came out in the cinema, it was barely in the cinemas. You know, like, mm. like most of the cinemas that I go to, a local didn't even show it. There was only one, like, oh, quite a bit away from me that was showing it, like, a couple of nights. And I made the effort to go and see it. And I'm really glad I did because it was a, it was a fantastic film. And I thoroughly recommend it. And that is also on Disney Plus. So you've also got no excuse. Wow, wow. <laughs> That's pretty solid then. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I hadn't heard of this until you sort of mentioned it in your um, application form thing. Mm. Uh, I looked at it. Um, I did actually consider doing this podcast on it, but I thought as well, I've just recently watched the John Wick films, so I thought we'll just do them. Cause they're, they're, oh, no, that's fair. Solid. There's more to talk about with John Wick. I mean, there's three films there. Yeah. And this does look good, though. And you kind of sold me on it there. Again, based on how passionately you're talking about it as well, that does obviously help. Um, <laughs> but yeah, two very good sort of points there, two very good films. Um, yeah, that's a good good pick. I like it. Very good stuff. Why, thank you. And that's the latest addition to the, I'm going to say it again because I enjoy saying it, 64K ultra mega high definition range. I enjoy hearing it. Yeah. <laughs> just, it's, it's such a, like, a, like a daft and cheesy term for it, but I absolutely love it. I absolutely. Think it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> so moving swiftly on to the final film in this trilogy, John Wick Chapter 3, um, and that other word that I can't remember that I also Parabellum. Parabellum, is that right? Mm-hmm. I can't pronounce that, yeah. Um... So this is an interesting one because this is the one that I kind of I do like this one the least out of mm. the three. I feel like there's just I don't know what it is, but I think there's a huge thing with the uh, finale of this film that I have a lot of issues with. I mean, you were saying before about a couple of the scenes with the with the uh, the, the dog attacks and stuff that feeling very um, sort of drawn out. I thought the finale was so drawn out. Mm, I okay. hate the final fight scenes in, really? the, in the sort of glass um, building at the end. Oh, that section. Right. Okay. I thought you meant like like from the continental going like into war immediately like onwards. I was like, oh. No, no. Oh, that, no. That, that, that's, oh, no. That's cool. Yeah, that stuff's fantastic. Don't get that's me wrong. probably one of my favorite set pieces in that's, the trilogy. I love that's brilliant. The... It's exciting. It's it's cool. You, you get a, it's, a, it's a sort of level of stakes that's been sort of like pushed up a little bit and... It gives you. It's, it's, it is very satisfying, but I think the problem with this after that is is, is this sort of this class sequence because that fight goes on for so long, and I do, I don't want John Wick to just be this sort of like godlike figure where he just like kill people instantly and like no repercussions, but there's nothing worse than having a film which is very fast paced in terms of the action and stuff, and then having a fight go on for so long. I know it's like they're equally matched but you know he's not gonna die because you know there has to be a confrontation after this so yeah. it's like okay just get on with it kill him you know yeah i, I really think yeah i just it's the bit with the last two henchmen as well it was a nice yeah. touch them kind of like sparing him and being like nice to meet you and nice to fight with you but it also i know we've already said like the universe you kind of have to like suspend your disbelief with these films because there are things that don't make as much sense i know mm. one thing that got a lot of criticism was john mc2 with the, the the one bit with the suppressors between him and cassian like on the different platforms of the station, mm. that got a lot of stick for being inaccurate with suppressors, which which I never even noticed from someone who's played mm. a lot of shooter games. It wasn't even something I took on board. Mm. But stuff like that, I didn't mind. But it was kind of like, you know, that the, those two guys did have John beat almost immediately and spared him. And then he ended up winning, which kind of made it feel a little less deserved. 
It, yeah, because there were it, plenty it, of chances it, they could have got him and chose not to. It was odd, but only because that sort of it, because it dragged out for so long. I can't remember exactly how long it is. Maybe I'm exaggerating it in my own head, but I remember watching it and being like actually bored of that sequence, which is not something I should be feeling in an action film. I was sat there, and I was like, I'm just gonna go on my phone for a bit because I feel like I can look away. And the same thing will be happening. They're going to be fighting. No one's going to win. And then someone will win. We know it's going to be John Wick. Yeah. So it's not like... There's no... I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want it to be super fast. I don't want John Wick to be this godlike figure who can just kill people straight away. But that particular sequence was just so dull. And I don't like, again, um, Zero. I don't like him as a sort of bad guy anyway. He was alright for most of the film. But that sort of fanboy stuff, from then onwards, just not as enjoyable. And that whole sequence of him sort of trying to get to the... Sort of basically the end of the film this being the sort of final fight kind of thing was just no it just wasn't it for me i just it was very just it was mm. very um it was very video game boss battle but one that drags yeah. out for far too long and you're just like sick of it by the end that's the main problem i have with this film is that that sort of ending is that that's the climax of the film and right after we've had this really cool action sequence, right after I had some really good set pieces, like the stuff in the library, the knife throwing um, at the, I think it's the History Museum you said before, I think it was. Yeah. I can't remember what exactly what building it was. It was something like that, I know that. But you throw in the, like, the, the tomahawk and the, the knives and the using the yeah. book to snap someone's neck, the stuff with the horse, the stuff with the machetes, and then you end with this. It was just like, oh, that's, that's a shame. That, that mm. is a shame, because I do like a lot of elements in this film. Again, it's so different to the last one, and that's what I love about these films. But this personal, this, this kind of thing wasn't really for me, I think. The stuff about trying to find this mysterious guy in the desert who's, like, gonna do something. It was just, it felt very, I guess, very contrived in the sense that it's just a very sort of get-out-of-jail-free card kind of plot. I know that's, you may, you may not agree with that, but I feel like, with those aspects of, or he, right, he goes abroad again for a sequence and still ends up in New York. But it's like, what well, he goes to find this person who's gonna, who can just put out the call and make everything right, and then it, it's all conveniently wraps up really nicely. I know I'm contradicting myself because I've in the same sort of topic of talking about John Wick three and talking about John Wick three, I said that. I hate the fact that they're trying to be too realistic in terms of the fighting, but then I'm, I'm complaining about them not being realistic enough because that just feels far too far-fetched for me that oh he just seeks this random guy in the desert and he can solve everything and everything wraps up mm. perfectly enough where it can it, it feels too convenient with the first and second film at least i felt like what was happening there was a realistic response to what had already happened and where it was going whereas this film it was like they it's almost like they had to wrap it up in a way where it would end how it had to end and they had to get to that point somehow so they had to have this thing with winston it's like oh is he gonna kill him is he not and then winston kills him and then it just it just felt very i don't know disappointing i think after the first two films i was kind of like this is really solid i wasn't too big on the second film in comparison to the first but it's still a really good film when it came to the third one i was like some fantastic set pieces some fantastic ideas brilliant choreography but the story and the villains just do not hold up to the first two at all for me. Yeah. Um, but feel free to come back on that, because I, I know well, you no, like it's, this It's one. difficult, because I'm like, because a lot of what you're saying is is fair, but it's not really changing my opinion. I'm kind of like, I think the, El the Elder is a bit of a weird one. I'll back you on that. You know, he has to go to the desert to meet this mysterious figure. I kind of, 
I think the only problem is, you know, if they made it be someone who was like in a building in New York or something, it would have been a bit too basic. But I, it's not even it's not even about that. It's not even about the desert set piece. That's an interesting idea. It's just the fact that oh, he goes all this way, does all these things, he get he pulls all these favors mm-hmm. to chop his finger off, and then this guy makes a call and makes it all better. Or not all better, but he makes it convenient enough where he can solve it. It's like it's supposed to be like all the odds against John Wick. It's like he shouldn't be able to just get a get out of jail free card almost. I think the problem is though, by that point, the odds have been against him so much there really wasn't another way. You know, like it's at the point where the odds were yeah. already as bad as they could have possibly been at the start of the third one. Like you can't get much worse than everybody on the planet gunning for you. Mm. Like there had to be some kind of thing. I think the problem with a situation like that is that no matter how you get out of it, you're going to have that situation of, oh, it is a bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card. I don't really think there is a, a better way to mm. get out of that. Yeah, I, yeah I know. I, I, see, I see what you're saying, and I, and I do agree with that. I think it's just, for me, it felt a little bit more far-fetched than the previous two, which have a... The first two have a, a, a great balance for me of, of realism and being far-fetched enough where it's enjoyable. Yeah. Because no film should be too realistic, otherwise it wouldn't be fun. But this one was just slightly too unrealistic for me in the sense that it just seemed way too convenient that everything went right for him. And like at the beginning of the film, they had some real stakes. They had the guy come and try and kill him right before, you know, before he was actually contracted to be killed. And then he went to the the doctors and it was like all like last minute and he had to like pull all these strings and all that sort of thing. That was really good. That showed some real promise there. But then... Compared to the second half of the film, sort of the second act and the third act, it's kind of like you had some real stinks at the beginning, and then it's like, oh, we can just pull a couple favors, go to this place, pull another couple favors, and then find this guy who will make it all better. I I know that it's like all the odds are against him, but it didn't feel like all the odds were against him for more than just the first act. Which, yeah, after I- the way the second film ends, that's slightly disappointing in my eyes. I wonder if, though, in one way, now now he knows at least two more films coming, like, it, what he did there with the Elder, he can't do again. You know, That's so true. That, that does help. That's it's true. not like a typical get-out-of-jail-free card where you can, like, like, like a time travel thing. Whenever you put time travel into a film, you, you kind of go, well, what? how do you get out of any other situation now when you've introduced time travel? With this, you know, he's made this deal with the Elder and specifically gone back on it. Mm. He's not going to be entertained that luxury again if that comes along and the high table did want John Wick dead still because mm. he did disobey what they said like at the end of the day I see the deal more as like not something that fixed everything but something that gave a reason for everyone to not be attacking him whilst he went back to the Continental to have the final section of the film like if he yeah. survived that section you'd have gone into four with people still going mental trying to kill him like constantly yeah so, no that's true I know because I, I, I feel like the vibe now the fourth one's going to be like you know him and the Bowery King operating from the shadows and everyone whenever they get a chance we want to kill him. Because the thing I wonder about the Bowery King is, was he also intended to be killed? Because he fell pretty hard after those seven cuts. And mm. I get the vibe that, you know, he was probably caught and Zero and the adjudicator probably just walked off and went, our job here is done. And then, you know, we have to just get up a bit afterwards and go, all right, are you pissed, John? Because I'm pissed as well. It's like, you know, I don't yeah. think they anticipated him surviving either. Yeah. So I feel like both, like it's going to be a bit more of like an underworld shadowy behavior from both of them going no, forward. I, where I, they still I, be that same I think vibe. I think the place where they leave the film is interesting. I think the fourth one will be pretty good, hopefully. Mm. I just think what they did with this one could have been. I feel like the first two are very exceptional action films, and this one is good, but it's not as good. And I think that was where I sort of had a bit of disappointment with with the story. I think generally the action set pieces are brilliant. 
You know, it's enjoyable. It's very well acted. Mm. I've already mentioned my feelings around the villains, but it's 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 a sort of second act kind of thing. This, which feels like just thinking of reasons to do. And it's not that I I, I don't like that. And I know they've already established a lot in the world building. But a huge thing I liked from the first to the second film is that. The second film was so different and it introduced mm. all these new ideas. The third film was kind of like, oh, I've got a medallion for you and I've got a medallion for you and I've got a medallion for you. It's like, I need to pull all of these. I know that's like, obviously it's like, okay, yeah. like it feels almost like they're going, right, well, well how can we do that? Oh, it's, it's almost like it wasn't planned. And it's not, I mean, that, that considering if that is the case and it wasn't thought of ahead, like I, I like to think that they've got, you know, when they when they knew they were doing two and three as like sequels, once sec once the once the second one came out, I'd like to think that they thought ahead and did plan three, four, and five. Generally, as sort of yeah. a general note, if they were going to continue it. Um, but you know, if if that is the case, if they, if that isn't the case, sorry, and they just sort of kind of what, what, sort of had a vague idea and just sort of planned it as they did each film, then it's been it's a pretty good payoff. But that's always my worry when they don't plan. I'm not, again, I don't really know the ins and outs of it. I don't know if that is the case, but that's kind <laughs> yeah. of where, the way it comes across is there's such a huge like step up in world building and quality from one to two. But then in the third one, it's just like, oh, we've got medallions. You can just have loads of medallions for people, the, the, the exact right people who can do the things that you need to do and get him to the place he needs to get to. I know that's how storytelling works. I'm aware of that. It just feels a lot more far-fetched to Noticeable. me. And yeah, exactly yeah. noticeable. And a bit just too obvious. I, I would have liked to have seen him really, like, really struggling before he got to the place where he could use that get-out-of-jail-free card. It feels like he had a few instances, killed a few people, and then was like, right, okay, I'm going to go and do this now. I feel like, like, well, I'm going to use your own words against you here, so oh, get on. ready for this, but yeah. I feel very much as though, you know, if he'd lived in that kind of consequence for a bit longer, you would have had the same problem again of, you know, these fight scenes are a bit too long. You know, kind of get to the point we know he's going to survive. How's he going to get there? I feel like yeah. if he'd spent more time before he'd gone, actually, do you know what? I'm going to go do this. It probably would have been like, okay, where's this going? Mm. You know, we've had some great set pieces. He just keeps running around killing people. Where, where's this going to pick up? And I think also it's worth considering that they probably went into John Wick 3 already planning that ballerina film spinoff. So they already had to put one location in there to set that up. So you like... You oh, I wasn't aware that. of that. What's this? Oh, so it's... They're doing a spin-off film. Um, they're doing two spin-off things for the... For the oh. third. So they're doing a, a TV show with stars called The Continental, which is like set in the 70s, I think. And it shows like a young Winston. But they're also doing a spin-off film called Ballerina, which I'm guessing is going to explain more about that kind of like mm. environment that John Wick apparently grew up in that was kind of like hinted at. That's so, interesting. Yeah, that's probably going to look at that. I, I, yeah, so I don't mind that. I think it was announced afterwards. I don't remember, but I feel like whether it was announced before or afterwards, they definitely probably had that in their mind when writing some of the pieces for Ch John Wick 3. doesn't really explain why the section with Sophia was so long because there's no like spin-offs tied to that, but... It's, I think you've got yeah. there's that consideration as well. It needs you know, to be made, no, don't, don't get me wrong. I think that's it's an interesting, but I think that on on reflection of that, even still, at the end of the second film, I, I, I tell you, what, you know, in a sort of fun way, I'll I'll use your words against you here in a, in a sense. Oh, here we go. Go this. on, go on. Because at the end of the second film, the, the sort of vibe you get is that there could be half the people on the world who are under this underworld thing. I don't get that vibe at the beginning of John Wick Three. I get a few people who are like after him but the amount of people who are like turning their heads and getting notifications at the end of the second film i don't feel like it's john wick versus the city in the third film a little bit and there's a little bit of that 
But I feel like there could have been so much more focus on that. And then, because I'm not saying that, like, oh, he has to just do loads of fight sequences for, for ages. But, like, really, like, if he gets properly, like, injured, like, properly messed up before he uses this get-out-of-jail-free card, you'll feel like, mm. well, at least, like, I actually feel like he's suffering because of what he did in the last film, opposed to just, you know. And I love this idea of the sort of the boogeyman, this sort of thing. He can just, he, he's, he is almost like a god. He can kill, he just, he's, he's brilliant what he does. But there has to be a point where it's like, okay... If you've got that many people after you, the way they set the, the the film up, I feel like there's a lot more. I don't know. I feel like you know maybe I'm. May, I I know I'm nitpicking here, but I, I think it's just it's it depends what you look for personally in in this sort of film. And for me, like John Wick Chapter Three, just didn't live up to what I was kind of looking forward to from the end of the second one. Well, then I'll nitpick back. Um, <laughs> 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 no, um. I think the only kind of get out clause you could have for that is mainly that maybe most of them wanted to honor the time he had left. Because, you know, they, they make a very big emphasis in these films about without the rules, they're nothing but animals. They have to follow mm. these rules. Mm. And they made it very clear that Winston had given John Wick this hour. Only a few people went back on that. Like, even the conversation between him and the and Ernest, like the really tall guy in the library, he's like, you know, I still mm. have time. And he's like, there's only 10 minutes left. Who's going to know the difference? Um, and then there's also on the flip side, imagine if in the places John Wick was in, there hadn't been that hour literally mm. an entire like whole long new york city street of people would have been crowding on him it would have been a bit too much for him to get out of and it wouldn't have been very believable that's true so i feel like that's true. you know i think that i think it's very much a case of a victim of its own success and b writing himself into a corner instead of a very big cliffhanger but it's very yeah. hard to execute that in an effective way that's the true. way as, as rude as it sounds people like you would want to see yeah without yeah. ruining the flow of the film and also making it even less believable i mean he's already shrugged off two two hits from a car or three hits but, from a car but that's the thing, and just got yeah. up and gone i'm fine just dust the shoulder off and but, walk along but that, that's that's the thing with this film that i think works though is that and this film sort of series that works is that every film is so different so yeah this film wasn't mm. for me particularly and the kind of thing that i look for in a john wick film or an action film or this just type of film generally this john wick 3 wasn't for me but John Wick 1 and 2 was, and likelihood is 4 and 5 might be, so I'm not complaining. Yeah. I think that it just, they kind of, there's fantastic set pieces in this, and there's a lot of good things to say about this film. Don't get me wrong, but I think just personally, if I am nitpicking, those things just pull me out of it a little bit. When the first two films were so like exceptionally tightly wrapped in terms of world building, yeah. in terms of character development, when a third film doesn't have that same level it's it's more noticeable if the third film was just by itself and i was looking at that as an, indi as an individual film it's a pretty good action film it's a it's a mm. it's a really good action film yeah but if you're comparing them to the first and second there's to me there's no competition the first and second like are it's significantly better in some aspects when you compare them i think like again it, it's, it's all about how tightly wrapped it is i feel like the third one for me personally has a lot more things where I'm like, oh, I'm not too keen on that, I'm not too keen on that, that doesn't really work for me, that, whatever. Whereas the first two films, I'm like, you know, it might not be my cup of tea, but this is still solid, it's still good, it's still tightly wrapped, there's no, like, room for like, nitpicking the story. Yeah. And I respected that so much about those first two films, which felt so refreshing and new for the genre. The third film, the third film for me just didn't really do that as much. It's not a bad film, but... Just for me, out of the three of them, it's it's the weakest for me. Yeah, that's fair. Um, 
And, um, and the other thing for me is that I liked with the, the characters getting a bit more time, particularly Winston and Sharon, you know? Yeah. There's not absolutely. just a couple of scenes with absolutely. them where they kind of serve their roles and that's about it. There's a bit more time with them. We get to see Winston and Sharon without John in some cases, which I don't think we see much of mm. in the previous films. We see a bit of Winston with Santino where John's not there, but mostly it's, it's you know, their interactions with, in relation to John, whereas we get to see them behave a bit more independently without yeah. him in the third film, which I quite like. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Those... Those characters are really well fleshed out in this film and are really enjoyable mm. to watch. Um, just seeing Sharon go around with the gun, like, yeah. there's that really calm concierge you, you don't really see much of, and then all of a sudden he's whipping out shotguns and pistols and just being an absolute badass. Yeah. Which I loved because I thought his character was brilliant anyway, so getting to see him get a lot more screen time, I was chuffed about that. So. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's brilliant. And I do like those elements of the film, definitely. That's um, definitely my standout for three. No oh, yeah. The characters. Definitely. I, I think that's probably well, the best part of it. I can agree with you there, yeah. And the set pieces for some of them and mm. the, the action scenes are brilliant as well. Like, it's obviously always a huge step up. Um, like, again, with, like, the horse and, like, the machetes and the, the, the knife throwing, oh, the book so takedowns and the shit section, in the library. Yeah. So well put together. Um, we're going to wrap this up shortly unless there's anything else you really want to say about John Wick 3. Good film. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I mentioned as well. There's another film which has come out very, very uh, recently, which we'll touch mm. upon. I'm not going to do a full review of because I might end up doing a proper podcast about this someday because I really like this film, and that's Nobody. And what do you think about that? I was. I, I mean, I, I honestly really, really enjoyed it. I think I was surprised by how much I enjoyed the film because. Mm. For me, I haven't seen Better Call Saul, and I know I need to watch it, but it's I've brilliant. seen Breaking Bad, so I, I knew Bob Odenkirk, and I was like, you know, I don't need, I feel like he's probably a bit more like he is a nobody in Better Call Saul, because he's, he's not really as, mm. as central a character. I'm just making assumptions here, because I haven't seen the show. Mm. But, like, to me, I, I was most interested in watching this film purely because I hadn't seen Bob in a leading role in that same kind of way. Mm. I was like, right, we've seen him, like, you know, act alongside... Um, Oh my god, uh, Brian Cranston and mm. Aaron Paul, etc. I can't be brain blank there. <laughs> like I've seen him acting alongside them, but I haven't mm. seen him take center stage. How's it going to look? The thing I thought was mo most interesting about Nobody was it took a lot longer to pick up. Mm. You know, with John Wick, it's very, it's all, it's very. I mean, it opens with the ending, which is one thing, but like, there's a very quick set of events from wife dying, getting dog, getting car stolen. Like that's all within about five to ten minutes. Whereas Nobody, I feel like it was about 20, 25 minutes before like the house sequence or 30, 30 minutes yeah. where you really got to see him act the way he used to which I think was kind of welcome this time I, I it was a yeah. nice change of pace I, I didn't want it to be I knew it was going to be like John Wick but I didn't want it to be mm. too, I didn't want it to be too like John Wick because I was kind of like okay, I don't I don't just want it to see John Wick with Bob Odenkirk as cool as that would be I want it to be like its own thing and it was yeah. I liked the fact that he had a family that he was like yeah. and he was sort of like his son thought he was like a lame dad or whatever it was a lot more comedic as well in places, which I really liked. It didn't take itself too seriously. Uh, and I, think, I thought the relationship between him and his wife was a bit weird. Like, it took me a minute to clock on what was going on there. I was a like, little bit like, odd. estranged or something? And then he literally, like, walks up to her and goes five feet away from her face and goes, we haven't had sex in three years. And I'm like, oh, okay, you've clarified. Fair, okay, I, I'm, I'm with you now, I get it. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was just so strange. It was, it was a weird like, one. The pillows between them in the bed, and I was like, what the what's going on but what is I, happening? I think that the, the huge thing about this film is again the fight choreography is so good yeah. that the villain is weak in this the story is not great but because it doesn't take itself too seriously and the fight sequences are fun it's one film that i could just put on any time and just absolutely adore it's it's a lot of fun 
Um, and especially, and I don't want to give too much away because I know it's like a new film. Um, so obviously, if you don't want too many spoilers, obviously, like, duck out. But seeing Christopher Lloyd kill two oh guys with like a shotgun. Like, it felt very oh my 80s action rom but it was like ice cream and like that. Doc really Brown with a, like a shotgun and him just. I mean, he's in his 80s and he's absolutely I, killing honestly, it he's in like, this. He's gonna die. What's going? Is he just accepting his death? And all of a I sudden, was, he's just gonna put like a sword off onto the pet under the sheet, and I'm like, oh, I was, okay, never mind. I was like, this, this is ridiculous. I was like, there's no way they're gonna like do, it. and they did, and they delivered as well. And Bob Odenkirk is incredible in this. The, the scenes that he does, the scene on the bus. Oh yeah. The scene on the bus is so good. The scene on the bus is, the the so, bus is so good. good. The, but, the way it ends like, with it, is, did he put like a straw in the guy's neck or something to let him breathe? Yeah, that was fantastic. That's dark that was as amazing. fuck, but I love it. It's so good. Yeah. The thing I like about the dad with the shotgun, though, it, it kind of reflected a bit in John Wick, was like the care home like staff member. I feel like he was, you know, a bit clued up on what was going on. He was kind of like, you know, t- like stop making as much noise. I feel like that was because he knew mm. like mm. what he used to do. And it gave me very much the, hey, John, hey, Jimmy vibes from the first one. It's like, you work it again? It's yeah. Like, I'll leave you be. Like he knows, like not to question. He's like, just keep the noise down, and it's it's okay. I like that reflection. Mm. But the standout to me was the very very end, putting the claymore on the shield. Oh, that's cool. that was where I just was like, oh god, because there were a couple of bits in that film where I was like, I want to <laughs> see if there's any set pieces that are different or better than John Wick, and like in particular in John Wick one in the last section where he's doing the car chase with Vigo, that the car stuff is really good, but. Mm. At no point did he fully recline the seat back and reverse out into everyone. And I was watching that, and I, I literally had to struggle to drop, pick my drop off the floor. Yeah. Because the way they did that was so fantastic. So good. So good. This There's film some is brilliant. Set pieces in it. Honestly, I really want to watch it again. I'm definitely going to go and watch oh, it. Oh no, definitely. I, 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 I don't think it's like as well put together as like John Wick, but I think it's a lot more like fun and accessible. Which I know, like, it depends on what you're looking for. But for me, this is this takes me right back to those sort of classic '80s action flicks where it is just, and it's Bob Odenkirk, who's brilliant, and obviously Christopher Lloyd as well, who's kicking ass. It's brilliant. The set pieces and the action set pieces, they, they they are fun. The action sequences are brilliant. They're very well choreographed. They're very well filmed. I and that's that's the main selling point. If you're going in for a good story, you're not going to really enjoy it that much, I don't think. But if you're going in just to have fun with a few great action scenes, some really dark, violent action scenes, um, then you'll love it because it's that's exactly what it is. It'll be interesting if they take the franchise route with that as well because they definitely left it open. And well, like, but because they went down the Marvel routes of credit scenes, they've commissioned a sequel. Yes, I thought I'd seen that, so they've that's good. I'm really glad about that. Uh, yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm dead happy with that because that that'll be great. I read the director as well saying that oh, it's possible like there could be like an Easter egg reference between that and John Wick, which is all I'd want them to do because you can't really cross those two over very well. Mm. But it'd be kind of interesting to hear like one mention the other. I was like, this seems like it's entirely believable that you know what happened in that film could also take place in the same universe as John Wick. Mm. But you wouldn't want to see them go back to back because it would never work. No, never. But I'd never... like a bit of connectivity would be would be quite nice because they're two films that are very good, but. You know, it's, it's a shame there isn't a 64K Ultra HD Mega Collection. Did I say that right? I think I did. Vaguely, vaguely. I think oh, okay. almost. I was going to say, almost there. Well, that's not too bad. But I'm glad there isn't. There, I'm sad there isn't one for that because I'll have to get the Steelbook. Mm. I've seen that on Zavi and I'm like, ooh, it like, looks good. Yeah. It's a very simple Steelbook, but I like it and I'm going to... I'm gonna grab it, but it, it's a, I mean, yeah, it's a great film, and I, I think it's a, it's a good, it's a good place to end this off as well with a little, a little bonus mm-hmm. film in there that isn't quite John Wick, but is John Wick enough that it's like if you haven't, if you've seen all the John Wick films and you haven't, if you're looking for something new to watch that's in that sort of same vein but slightly more comedic, takes itself a little bit less seriously, then uh, nobody's probably for you. 
Um, yeah, there's definitely some very good mirror images in there between that and John Wick 1. Absolutely. The, the, absolutely. the burglars in the house first off, then a house fight scene, and then yeah. burning down the the guy's money stash. Like, there's yeah, yeah. some very distinct mirror images, but it's 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 done in a way where it's familiar, yet entirely different. Yeah. And I think it's and really I, and I, I, and I And I respect that. But, um, yeah, I think that's a good place to sort of end this off on. Um, do you have anything you'd sort of like to promote, shout out, all that sort of thing? Now is the place to do that, so I'll let you do that. Let's smack in my fan, hopefully. <laughs> uh, well, um, well, thank you. Um, so, introduce me. So, you've mentioned the YouTube and the podcast. So, the YouTube channel is Red Archer Live. That's um, a gaming thing, if anyone is interested in that. There's a lot of payday stuff, but I'm trying at the minute to to spread out a bit more and do other games. Uh, the podcast I do is called The Redcast, which is... A show i mean literally just reading off the name of the show it's it's all about exploring the world of entertainment and the forms it takes so talking to actors youtubers streamers musicians all sorts of stuff like that um so you can find that on spotify on a bunch of other podcast platforms um links to that can be found by my main point of contact which is my twitter which is at red archer live so if anyone wants to kind of know what shit i'm talking then twitter's the best place to go because i'm i'm tweeting all sorts of stuff on there <laughs> brilliant stuff brilliant stuff and if you obviously want to keep up to date with the latest from this podcast we are at spill your beans on twitter and obviously if you're listening on spotify give us a follow listen to some of the other episodes as well and yeah that's basically it here we'll see you next week with another film review see you later bye-bye <laughs> i don't know how to end oh, that <laughs> yeah i wasn't sure whether you wanted me to say something whether yeah, you were going to end just... it up